0: Know if you guys have uh, heard the news, but for the first time in about five decades, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs are going to be playing for a Super Bowl next Sunday. Right? I thought there might be that's more response than I usually get during a sermon. So, God bless you for that. All right, I should have been doing this the whole time. All right, uh, I thought it might be fun uh, since this is happening next Sunday. Uh, we actually have a bit of a resident Chiefs uh, super fan, and I'm going to bring him up for a little bit of fun that he did not know about. And so, uh, Weston Woodring, would you come and join me in the front just very quickly? And to make things even more fun for you, I would like for you to grab a microphone because uh, you may be saying something, and I would like it to be caught on our recording of, of our service for posterity. Um let me ask you this. How long have you been a Chiefs fan? Uh, I mean, I've only started following him since Patrick Mahomes has been there. Oh, my word. Are you serious? I I went to a Chiefs game. Boo this man. I went to a Chiefs game whenever I was in (laughs) grade school. So. All right. But you would say that at this point, though, you're a pretty big Chiefs fan, right? Eh, Yeah. All right. uh, He. I think so. Yeah, he, he is, because every time we have a board meeting and it happens to overlap with a Chiefs game, uh, first of all, he complains to me about it, and then he usually brings a device, a tablet, or some sort of a screen into the meeting and holds it under the table and watches the game. Uh, he doesn't think that everybody knows this, but we do, okay? Um, so anyway, uh, over the Chiefs' 18 or so games they've played this season, about how many of the 18 games would you say that you've caught part of, at least? Uh, probably all of them. Pretty close yeah. to 18. All right, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. Uh, so you consider yourself to be pretty familiar with the 2019 Kansas City Chiefs. Yes, I like
1: okay. That's know that, that, where that. this is
0: going, so I want to say no. Uh-huh, it's too late. <laughs> so <laughs> so <I don't laughs> you're going to be up like here either way. Okay. <laughs> uh, I know if, if you've not been here on a Wednesday night, one of the things that Weston loves to do is to have little competitions and games that use slides on the sanctuary TVs Uh, and so I thought that he might enjoy being on the other side of that. Uh, Here's here's what I want you to do. I'm going to put a picture of a Chiefs player on the screen or someone involved with the Chiefs and when that person's picture comes up, I just want you to tell me the name of that player or person, all right? I'm sure it's going to be easy. You're a super fan all the way back to like 2018. You've been a fan. (laughs) And so lifelong Chiefs fan here. Okay, first one. Let's put the first picture up there. Andy Reid. All right, Andy Reid. All right, good job, Wesson. Let's give him a hand. All right. Next one. Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes. All right, his one player he knows. Good job. All right, getting a little bit harder now, but I think you'll still be able to do this. Who's next? Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey in what positions do you play Tight in. in all right good job good job all right let's throw the next one up there Eric Fisher incorrect oh, darn it. incorrect next picture oh uh, I, I should tell you uh, that is Mitchell Schwartz by the way Mitchell Schwartz all right next Eric Fisher is gonna be all my <laughs> all my guesses just so you know <laughs> once again incorrect does anybody know <laughs> in the crowd who this is this is Andrew Wiley. Andrew Wiley is the left tackle. All right, one last one to redeem yourself. What? Eric Fisher. <laughs> <laughs> I have no clue. All right. I'm gonna say Eric Fisher again, just. It is yeah. not Eric Fisher. It is Austin Ryder. All right. So you started off well, but then you went downhill quickly. Let's give Weston a big hand for participating. And here's the thing, and just so Weston doesn't feel too bad, that was exactly how I hoped it would go because the point I was gonna make was gonna fall apart otherwise. So I'm really glad that Eric Fisher was not actually a person on the slideshow. Uh, here's the truth of the matter. Not many people, even fans of the Kansas City Chiefs, even if they were fans before you know, Patrick Mahomes, uh, not many of them could identify guys like Mitchell Schwartz, Andrew Wiley, Austin Ryder, or Eric Fisher, clearly. Uh, But if you don't know who those guys are, they are actually the starting offensive line for the Kansas City Chiefs. They're not scrubs, they're not people that never play, they are on the field as much as anyone else is. Now, if you don't know much about football, the offensive line, the offensive linemen, are the guys who protect the quarterback and try to open up holes for the running backs to be able to run through. Now, when they do their job well, you don't even notice that they're there. That's kind of the tough thing about being an offensive lineman. If you're doing well, nobody ever says your name. Uh, Usually if you're hearing an offensive lineman's name, it's because he just committed a penalty or he's just getting whipped play after play after play and they've done something wrong. Now, I can name a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL. I'm sure that several of you could too. Russell Russell Wilson is a quarterback in the NFL. Even the ones in the Super Bowl, we know there's uh, Patrick Mahomes, there's Jimmy Garoppolo, but most of you could name other ones Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Dak Prescott, Deshaun Watson. You could name a bunch of quarterbacks. Now, but do you know, even me, someone who loves football and watches football, you know how many offensive linemen I can name? Just the ones that I researched this week to try to make Weston look bad. That's the only ones I can name. And I've already forgotten their names. I had to write it down, Mm -hmm. if I'm being honest. And that's kind of messed up because, listen, Patrick Mahomes is great. Amen? Amen. All right. That was ridiculous. All right. (laughs) He is great. Uh, And everybody knows him. Everybody loves him. At this point in Joplin, Missouri, if you saw a picture of him, you would probably have an idea of who it is. But he, as great as he is, could not have thrown a single touchdown if the no-name guys on the offensive line hadn't been doing their job to protect him and give him a little bit of time to throw to his receivers. In football, the offensive line in front of the quarterback is actually just as crucial to the team's success as the quarterback is. You can have the greatest quarterback in the world, but if the offensive line cannot protect him, or if their timing is off, if they just can't do anything right, the quarterback, as great as he is, is not going to be making any memorable plays. So next week, when and if you're watching the Super Bowl, and God willing, you see Patrick Mahomes throwing touchdown after touchdown after touchdown, remember to notice those huge guys on the field that never get credit, that never get notice, because they are the ones who are also making it possible. They're going to give the credit to Mahomes and the receivers and everybody else, but the ones who are overlooked are the ones who are also indispensable to the, to the process. And, and this is not limited to football. You know this. It's not even limited to just sports. Some of the people who do the most vital jobs everywhere, in any business, in any company, the people who help the biggest things happen so many times go unnoticed or unnamed or overlooked. They're not the big... Names that are kind of in front, or they're not the ones that have the microphones, and so we just kind of don't recognize them, but they're there, and the whole thing would fall apart without them also doing their jobs. One of the things as a pastor I I like to do, I even like to find biblical characters that are like that. Uh, The characters in the Bible that maybe aren't the King Davids or the Pauls, the people who have all the really cool stories, and we talk about them all the time, but these of pushing characters that even though they're not as famous or even loved, they're still vital to pushing the story of God forward throughout Scripture. And one of the characters that I really like and I really find fascinating and I want to talk about just a little bit today is a guy named Joseph of Arimathea. Uh, That's probably a familiar name to you if you've been around the church, but Joseph of Arimathea is really just heard from just a little bit around the death of Christ. Um, We may not know everything we'd like to about Joseph of Arimathea, uh, but we do know a few important things that we can glean both from scripture and from kind of early Christian tradition. But here are some of the things we know. We know he lived at the time of Jesus and was a follower of Jesus. We know that he was a very wealthy man. We know that he was a prominent member of the Sanhedrin, which was kind of the the governing body that actually turns Jesus in to be arrested and crucified. Uh, It was Joseph of Arimathea, and this is why we know him, who took possession of the body of Jesus off of the cross and laid him to rest in Joseph's own personal family tomb. And so from there we start to kind of piece together other details. History is told in pieces, so I'm not gonna read it. It's really like three verses here, four verses there. If you'd like to read the little bit that we know about Joseph Arimathea, Luke 20, I'll give you the references for that. He's in Matthew 27, he's in Mark 15, he's in Luke 23, and every time it's just for a couple verses, and then he disappears. But in those passages, he is referred to as a rich man and a prominent council member. In other words, he's a part of the Sanhedrin. Um, He describes him as a good man and a just man. And it goes into detail saying that he had not consented to the trial that had condemned Jesus, even though the body he was a part of was really an instigating factor in all that. It says he was not in league with them. It was not he was not on board with that. And after Christ's death, Joseph, the scripture says, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly out of fear for the Jews, asked Pontius Pilate if he could have the body of Christ off of the cross, that he could take possession of it. And Pilate gives him permission. And then after preparing Jesus's body for burial, Joseph lays the body in this rock-hewn tomb in a garden. And the tomb was obviously owned by Joseph And it fulfilled a prophecy in Isaiah 53 that the Messiah was to be buried in the grave of a rich man. Um, It's a really interesting story. Mark's gospel even says that Joseph went boldly to Pilate. In other words, he risked a little bit. uh, And it was really just in time. uh, Because there was another writer that I was reading over the past couple of weeks. uh, He noted that unless there was a special application that was sent in to Pilate, on behalf of Jesus, Jesus' body would have been buried really that night in a common grave with other criminals because the Jewish law said that the body of an executed man could not remain on a cross for the Sabbath. And so to avoid breaking that law, they would have just put him in to kind of a mass grave with criminals. Now, at this critical juncture, At this point in the story, and this is the story of Scripture, this is kind of the culmination of everything, right? There's a reason why at Easter we talk about the the death and resurrection of Christ is because this is the most important story that defines us as Christians. And in the middle of the story, at a critical juncture, God calls forward this secret disciple named Joseph. And that's the point that I want to really highlight today because I want you to consider a few things that maybe you hadn't really considered before because he's not a major character. Joseph of Arimathea probably didn't consider himself some hero that, like he was doing some great big thing that was gonna be remembered by history. In fact, as he was doing all of this, he probably felt pretty crummy about it. He was probably sad. He was probably depressed about the entire thing. He felt hopeless because he loved Jesus and Jesus was dead. And even though Joseph was a rich and influential man, all of his money, all of his influence, all of his power was not enough to save Jesus. He couldn't have done it. All that he could possibly do is give him a decent and respectful burial instead of having Jesus' body thrown into a mass grave. There is nothing in Scripture that would indicate that Joseph of Arimathea expected his gift to matter there's nothing that would indicate that he expected his gift to have eternal consequences or that it would be remembered for centuries and centuries and centuries to come but we know what happens in the story three days later christ rose from the grave and not just any grave his grave joseph of arimathea's grave now if we're being honest Would Christ have been unable to rise from some other grave, even a mass grave of shame with criminals? Of course he wouldn't have been unable. Christ was going to rise with or without Joseph of Arimathea and his grave. But because Joseph was willing to sacrifice, he became a part of the greatest story ever told. He's a part of that story now. Christ would have still risen, But Joseph wouldn't have had this front row seat and this crucial role to play in the greatest redemptive act in the history of creation. What Joseph did probably wasn't a big deal to him. He was rich. He wasn't really giving up too terribly much. He was going to be fine. He was going to be fine. But because he was willing to do what little he could, He is now a part of the resurrection story of Christ. Every time we talk about the resurrection, every time we read that story, every time we think about all of the events that transpired and everything that happens, he is a part of that story. That's Joseph of Arimathea's story now. How cool is that? He's just a guy. He didn't heal anybody. He didn't give sight to the blind. He didn't walk on water. He didn't ever preach a great sermon that we know of. He never went to a wedding and turned water into Capri Suns. That's the kid's version, if you didn't know. He was just a guy who was willing to work a little bit, who was willing to give a little bit, who was willing to sacrifice a little bit. And so God decides to use him in this huge thing that God is doing. Guys, don't you want to be like Joseph of Arimathea in this story? Don't you want to be part of something way bigger than yourself? Don't you want to see something amazing happen? Don't you want to see God move through us and bring resurrection power to those around us that we know need that? Don't you want God to be talking to the angels beside him and say, you see my servant down there? Couldn't have done it without him. Couldn't have done it without her. I do. I want to have a front row seat for the greatness of God. I want to have a front row seat for forgiveness offered to those around me. I want to have a front row seat for new life and resurrection in the people in my life. I want to see it with my own eyes. I don't want to have to go to district assembly and hear about how it's happening at other churches. I don't want to hear it from somebody else. I don't want to read about it in a missionary book on how God is doing something over there. I want to see it happen because of the work that we do together. Because of us being willing to just do what we can, that's why I want to see greatness happen. I'm tired of hearing other people talk about it. I want to see it happen. Let me tell you something. Next Sunday during the Super Bowl, an offensive lineman is not going to be named Super Bowl MVP, all right? I know you've got high hopes, but it's not gonna happen, okay? Derek Fisher, God bless him, is not going to win Super Bowl MVP. But let me tell you something, whoever that Super Bowl MVP is, whether it's a running back, whether it's a quarterback, whether it's a receiver, they would not be able to lead their team to a win without the linemen doing their jobs. They wouldn't be able to do it. But you know what? If they do their jobs and someone else does something great out of it, they're going to get to celebrate. They're going to be champions. They're going to get a ring. They're going to get to ride in the championship parade just the same as everybody else. And what I want you to hear me say And this is actually our concluding sermon in this series. And really what I want you to know and what I want you to take away from this entire thing is that we in this church, yes, everybody loves the person who's up front, getting the credit, all that sort of good stuff. But you know what we need? We need offensive linemen. That's what we need. We need people who are willing to just roll their sleeves up and do what it takes so that we can be successful. We need linemen. We need Joseph of Arimathea. We need people who are just willing to do their job, to do whatever they can, no matter how small or insignificant they think it is. Because we know that when we are willing to do a thing, God has the capacity to bless it and do something amazing out of it. That is what we want to see. And the reason why we want to see that is because we know that there is one miracle from the New Testament that God keeps repeating over and over and over and over again. There's one miracle of Christ that we just keep see happening time and time again, and it's the miracle of the fish and the loaves. I can't tell you how many times I've seen the miracle of the fish and loaves repeat itself in my own life. And you know the story from Matthew chapter 14. Jesus is in the midst of his teaching ministry And he's got this huge crowd that's following him and hanging on his every word. And they've been there a while and they're far from home and they're kind of out where there's no stores. There's not a, you know, neighborhood market or anything like that anywhere around. It was back in town. And they're hungry. All of a sudden there are multitudes and multitudes and they're starving. And frankly, there just wasn't enough food. There was hardly any food. Something amazing simply could not be provided with what they had because what they had was so insignificant. But there was this one young boy, and we don't know how old he was, but what he had in his hands, he couldn't feed thousands. He couldn't even come close. But what he had in his hands, he was willing to give to Christ. Five fish, two loaves of bread. He was willing to give that to Christ. And because he was willing to give that to Christ, this is the conclusion of that story in Matthew chapter 14. Then he, Jesus, ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over and those who ate were about 5,000 men, and that's beside women and children. So realistically, we're talking at least 10,000, maybe 15,000 people there, all from five loaves, uh, I'm sorry, five fish and and two loaves. This is one of Jesus' most famous and beloved miracles. We love this story. Did the young boy have a lot to give? No. What he had to give was insignificant. It wasn't special at all. But what we learn from the story is that when we give what we have to God, it creates space for something miraculous to happen. When we give what we have to God, no matter how insignificant, we create space for the miraculous to happen. And you know who the unsung hero of this story really is? I was thinking about this this week. You know who the unsung hero is? It's not even the boy who we don't even know his name. He's a nameless boy. That's not really the unsung hero. If you ask me, the unsung hero of this story is that boy's mama, all right? Because you know good and well that a stinking teenage boy didn't pack his own lunchbox. Don't you? I bet you anything. It just blows my mind. You know, 10, 12, 13,000 people there, and the only one who brought a snack was her baby. And you know, if you're a parent, you know that when she kind of rolled up that paper bag for, you know, the paper sack with a snack in it and was like, no, before you go take this, you know, he rolled his eyes at her, right? You know, he did, but she made him take it anyway. But you know what? She did her job. She did what she was supposed to do. And when the time came, her son did what he was supposed to do. And the, you know, the result is that when all of these nameless people, did what they were willing to do, when they did the things they were supposed to do, when they did their jobs, Christ took over and made the miraculous happen. And it wasn't because they were special and it wasn't because what they had to give was unique. It was because when they were willing, it created space for God to do something miraculous. Loaves and fish, it still happens every day. It still happens every day if you are willing to give a little bit of time, if you will be willing to put forth a little bit of effort, if you will be willing to roll up your sleeves, if you will be willing to sacrifice just a little, God can use those gifts to do far more than you could ever dream as possible under your own power. But we have to be willing to do so to create that space for the miraculous. I'm almost done here. This is not a very long sermon, but I want you to understand that there are no insignificant people in the kingdom of God. There are no insignificant jobs in the kingdom of God. There are no insignificant roles or gifts any more than there are insignificant positions on the football field. Because even if the rest of your team is top notch, if there's one position that's just not pulling its weight, the other team's going to take advantage of that. And it's going to keep you from doing what you could do otherwise. There are no insignificant gifts, efforts, or jobs in the kingdom of God. And likewise, there is nothing that we can give to him that he can't make like loaves and fish and multiply it to do the things we can't even fathom, to do the things we can't even dream of. And here in our church, we're good at this. We have unsung heroes here. And I'm not going to start naming people like I did last week. You should have seen some of the looks I got while I was preaching daring to mention some folks that don't like to be mentioned. I'm not going to do that again. But the truth of the matter, and and I hope you hear me saying this in the spirit that I mean it. The truth of the matter, we can look at the football metaphor, is that there are far more nameless and faceless offensive linemen on championship football teams than there are star quarterbacks. There are way more offensive linemen that we don't know their names on Super Bowl winning teams than there are star quarterbacks on the Super Bowl winning teams. It's true in football and it's true in the church and without the ones who are working unrecognized, without the ones who volunteer and maybe don't get the recognition that they deserve, without the ones willing to roll up and do the work that needs to be done, without the ones who are willing to give even when it seems insignificant in our own hands, let me tell you, we would not accomplish anything. We would not get anything done, Anything done, and we would fall apart. It, it can't be just a staff. It can't be just a few prominent folks. It takes all of us working together to make this work. And so the, the story of Joseph of Arimathea, the story of the boy with the fish and the loaves, what we see is that the simplest of actions, service towards others, obedience and faith, Giving what we can, it creates an opportunity for God to do something miraculous. God uses every seemingly minuscule moment to reveal his goodness and his grace. And the worst thing we can do is to rob him of those moments of our faithlessness, or our faithfulness, I should say. Because here's the question. Don't you want to see God do something miraculous? With whatever it is that we can offer him? Really ask yourself that. I I have the suspicion that there are a lot of people, and I don't mean this just in our church, I mean just across the the church in general. I have a feeling there are a lot of people who come to church and they don't really expect anything. They don't expect to be awed, they don't expect to see God do something impossible. And so the question I have for us is, do we really want to see God do something miraculous here? Do we want to see incredible things happen in our church? Do we want to see and hear stories of redemption that are impossible to believe? I want to see those and I'm willing to work because I want to see what God can really do if we say yes if we're willing to do the thing, whatever the thing is. Do you want to see that? Do you want to see that? Do you really wanna see what God can do in this place? Do you really wanna see what God can do in our neighborhood? Do you really wanna see what God can do in our town? Do you really wanna see what God can do in your family? If you wanna see that as much as I do, I implore you, let's all get off the sideline And let's start breaking a sweat together because we need you for us to be the church that we can be, for us to be faithful enough to create space for the miracle of God. We need you. And so I'm asking you to help us make space for what God wants to do in our midst. Don't let us be the reason why God's not doing amazing things. Let's make sure that we're giving what we can using whatever talents we have being willing to give a little bit of time to do something for one of our ministries let's make sure that we are doing what we can because when we do that even if it's just something a mir- bit it's fish and loaves god blesses it and does something miraculous with what looks so small in our hands so let's give them to him let's not hold on to our talents let's not hold on to our fish and loaves. Let's put them in the hands of the Messiah and let's allow him to do what he wants with them because he might just feed a whole crowd with what we were willing to give him. We need you. If you will, stand up and let's close in prayer.